Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the executive director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. Hi, Karen. This week, we are happy to welcome a very special guest to our show. Joshua Crane is in his ninth year as head of school at the Stony Brook School, a college preparatory school located in Stony Brook, New York. Joshua holds a BA in English from Vanderbilt University, a master's in philosophy from the University of Glasgow, and a master's in educational leadership from Covenant College. Joshua and his wife, Jennifer, have been married for 23 years and have four daughters. Joshua competes regularly in triathlons to keep himself mentally and physically equipped for what it takes to lead the Stony Brook School in its own race for excellence. Joshua, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Keeping Kids Safe. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here with you. We have, you know, all been challenged in the last year and a half with COVID and you being the head of school at Stony Brook, I guess, first, if you don't mind, just tell a little bit about the school and then maybe you can talk to us about your experience so far around that. So Stony Brook is a hundred years old this year. It's a boarding and day school. We have 445 students from 25 different countries and 12 different states and all across Long Island. So there's never a dull day here for us at Stony Brook. It is a Christian school, it's a faith-focused school, but we have students from all different faith backgrounds and some with no faith at all. So it's uh, quite an interesting mix of students and we really appreciate the diversity of thought and, and, and people that attend our school. So this past 18 months has certainly been a, a super challenge for us in which there have been plenty of challenges and also opportunities. But for us, when we talk about COVID, we think about back to March of 2020, when we closed down school on March 13th for what we thought would be two weeks. We sent our local boarders home and of course our day students home, but we still had 110 kids living with us. And if you remember March and into April in New York in this region, it was, boy, it was quite challenging. And so we had the task of moving as we realized, okay, we're not going to be back in person anytime soon here. We're going to have to pivot. And we had put all of our classes online over a long weekend uh, to facilitate school happening for our students because, well, there were two months left for graduation and we had a school year to finish. But as we realized time went on and it was just becoming more and more obvious that we're not going to be back in person we had to pivot and we had to work on getting our students who were internationally uh, dispersed throughout the globe home when flights were scarce. And it was really a a challenging time for us, but really grateful for our staff and our teachers as we navigated and enabled the school year to land safely and graduated the class of 2020 uh, and uh, finished up the year. Wonderful. That must've been a Herculean effort. Uh, I can't imagine what it must've taken. I did have more hair before that time. So yeah, it was, uh, it was quite, quite, quite an ordeal. I imagine I had less wrinkles, so I I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) What um, are some of the safety steps that you have put in place that are possibly still in place today for your students? Sure. 
So at first with COVID, we really just didn't know what this was. And we were desperate to try to keep people apart from each other. And so we had set up pretty stringent uh, protocols for that time in March, uh, April, and May of 2020. A lot of social distancing. We were delivering meals to the dorms. Kids were eating them by themselves. It was, it was really, it was challenging time. But as we progressed into last year, we, we were in person all of last year. Masks were, have been operative for us. Uh, since the pandemic. Um, last year, we had masks on inside and outside. We had six feet of social distancing, directional hallways, only two students at a table eating uh, for, for meals, which, look, it, it wasn't fun, but it was the necessary requirements given to us by the state of New York in order to keep kids safe. And of course, we had hand washing uh, dispensaries throughout uh, to make sure that we were, we were staying um, healthy. Uh, this year, we've opened up again in, in person, and we are experiencing, I would say, much more normal uh, environment here. Although restrictions are still in place, everyone wears a mask inside, take them off outside. Uh, three feet of social distancing is what we've been asked to do by the state of New York. Uh, and we do not at this time have any large scale school gatherings. So we'll meet, we'll have a, a recorded assembly or a recorded chapel, and we'll view that in advisory groups of eight to 10. But we have not yet gone the step of bringing everyone together into one space. Do you also have testing? Um, we do not for students, although the New York State requirements for our faculty you either have to be vaccinated or submit to a weekly test. Mm -hmm. uh, that you must show a negative test before you're able to come to work on Monday, but no testing for students. And, you know, as you think back to February or even January of 2020, and you look at where we are now almost two years later, what would you say was the biggest shift for your school? Um, what is the biggest, I guess, surprise, what you thought would be so difficult and isn't? And what, what do you hope you can get back to? Yeah. These are great questions. So, uh, you know, I think that um, one of the biggest surprises has been the compliance with rules. So, you know, teenagers, they don't really like rules, but when they had the opportunity to come back and, you know, be in person again after being apart from each other, we found them pretty willing to comply by our rules, which was maybe the first time in history that teenagers were, were quick to follow rules. Um, so that was that was a, a big surprise. Uh, but I think what we've also found is the power of an online medium and what it can do for education and how it can be interspersed and intermingled within an in-person experience in a way that can leverage that vehicle or that venue's strengths. Um, so, you know, that's been something we had been dabbling in and thinking about online education and what it can do. Uh, but, but we hadn't jumped fully in. Of course, COVID caused us to do that. And we actually launched a online program called Gravitas, uh, which is our online academy uh, that is international and uh, is now available. This is our first year. And that was born out of the challenges of, of being online, but also realizing the opportunities that were there for us. Well, that's so interesting. Is it a complete school curriculum that can be done from home without a homeschooled teacher, or can you tell us more about it? 
Sure. So it can be done entirely from home. And we have teachers who are located, in this case, all over the states. Eventually, we'll have an international cohort. But right now, we have teachers in Missouri. We have teachers in Colorado, uh, here in New York, and, and really all over. And they are facilitating an online experience for a cohort or initial cohort of students. Uh, so it's full curriculum. Uh, we started this year with 8th, ninth, and 10th grades. We'll add a grade next year, we'll add 11th grade. And if great demand comes, we might even be able to add 12th. But it is, uh, it's a full service program where, where kids are getting a Stony Brook education, albeit online. So interesting. I have four young children, one of whom was born just before we went into lockdown. Um, so I had at the time a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn. And so for me, trying to help manage homeschooling those first few months was, it seemed like an impossible task. Uh, my son's school did a pretty good job at immediately, you know, turning on Zooms and having teachers teach all day. And it worked out really well. Um, but for, you know, a first grader for my daughter, it was really, it was a big challenge. It was a big challenge for us. The younger the child, the harder homeschooling online is. There's no question about it. It is. Uh, I don't know that they've perfected the science of that yet. It's um, still in development. Absolutely. I was lucky to have my children in school all of last year. They go to small uh, private Catholic schools, and I have never been so grateful to those teachers or those administrators for the work they did in keeping the schools open all year. It was really incredible. Um, and you know, as I think about that effort, that level of effort of fortitude that administrators had and, and really, you know, just being so creative and finding a way to make it happen for their students. It's really incredible. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you find in a school like yours, certainly a school like Stony Brook, is the power and value of relationships. You know, if we didn't know our students well, I don't know how well the online experience would have gone. Uh, but when you have that kind of network connected nature of a school, those relationships, well, we were able to, to take advantage of those in the best way in that March through, through May timeframe. Like, hey, y'all, we're in this together. We've got to persevere. We've got to navigate. We know you. You know, we know each other. Let's work together. And I think those schools that have made relationship a really important part of their pedagogy and approach, those are the schools that fared well during this pandemic. And how about sports when you think about um, athletics and how that has managed to kind of keep itself together or in some cases, you know, I know, for example, my daughter was um, doing ballet and tap and gymnastics and those are indoor sports. And so last year we decided we weren't going to do that. We would just do sports that could be done primarily outdoors. How did your school navigate those types of indoor sports last year? Yeah. So um, in last year's competitions, we were governed by a league called the PSAA here uh, on Long Island. And so they had set out rules for competition. Uh, masks were to be worn indoors. The frequency and volume of games that we had were, were down from what we had done before. So we had a modified schedule, uh, but we were able to make it work. Um, we found that, you know, that that emphasis on physical activity is a big part of the health equation and making sure that students are staying physically active during this pandemic, I think was, was so important. 
Uh, and that camaraderie and teamwork, that's, you know, you don't want to miss out on that. That's such an important part of, of teenage development, of a young person's development. And so we were able to do that with protocols in place of mask wearing and limited seating for fans, which was a, certainly a bummer for parents, but we did set up a online viewing capabilities. But, you know, sports is something that, you know, you, you try your best to keep people socially distanced and, and keep all the protocols in place. But in the heat of competition, there may be a high five there. And, you know, it just you kind of roll with it. Karen, I know you have high school kids who are playing sports. And have you had a similar experience? So for us last year, unfortunately, we did not have sports at all. And just like you said, you know, I do find that my teenage children are so grateful to be back in school that they definitely are. While it's hard to still wake up in the morning, they still are so grateful to have the opportunity to be back in person. And I think appreciating it so much more and especially around the sports and being able to compete again and just having the camaraderie of their teams, you know, their friends that are on their teams and being back. I know that the children are loving it. And actually we, as um, the adults are also loving being back. And, you know, we, I definitely felt as though I lost my community last year when we weren't able to do that. And so it's really nice to, you know, it's really the first time that we're all back and seeing each other in person. So we are really, you know, happy to have that. I know fall sports in our family have been so exciting. We didn't allow our oldest to play football last year because it was a contact sport. And we just felt with the newborn at home, it just wasn't a great idea. Um, but boy, do we love watching him play football this fall and to see our four-year-old playing soccer and our daughter doing soccer. It's just so much fun to watch them play, to see the joy on their faces. And it is such an important part of their mental health, right? The, the physical exercise. We know that as adults and um, we're so fortunate to be able to have our kids healthy and out there on the fields and, you know, social distancing where they can mask wearing when they're not on the field and, and really just enjoying their time in fresh air with friends and being competitive. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to talk with you about Joshua is just around um, how are your students doing now? Are you finding that, you know, how, how are their like social and emotional health, um, you know, around just coming back and are you finding any long-term effects? Yeah. So um, like you, we, we have experienced a lot of gratitude here. We see kids being happy to be, be back and that's, and that's great. But inevitably with the social disruption that we've had, and you think about young people and their social development, I mean, they're not quite yet the most skilled social operators and they need practice and they need time. And so last year that really got disrupted. You know, behind Zoom, if you are, uh, you know, not in person, you, you have the opportunity to hide and you're not practicing the kind of social negotiation and interaction that really is foundational for your, for your development. And so there's definitely a little bit of rust. Uh, we had our first dance uh, in two years, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that was a sight to behold. Folks are, you know, what is this? What do, what do we do here? They've kind of almost, you know, forgotten. 
so there is a little bit of reorientation that is necessary. And we've also felt folks having a little bit of anxiety being back in the classroom. Again, behind Zoom, you can hide a little bit. But if you're in that classroom and you get called on and it's just you, uh, kids have had a little bit of, whereas it's always maybe a little bit of a scary thing. But I think, again, being out of practice with it can add a little bit of extra anxiety for kids. So we've been working through that. Overall, it's been positive, but it's definitely we're noticing some rust. Uh, you know, that's that's on kids as it relates to to healthy, positive social interactions. Yeah. So are you are you doing anything different than you did before in terms of how you address that? We're just we're taking a little bit more time. We're recognizing that as educators, that this is operative, that there may be a little bit more anxiety in our classrooms than we're used to. Uh, we do want to facilitate great events on the weekends. So as a boarding school, boarding schools are often judged by how fun their weekends are. And so we really are trying to make sure that there are opportunities for social interaction and uh, just being a little bit more present as adults, I think, and, and kind of shepherding and, and guiding kids. Um, it just it, it takes a little bit of extra care, I would say. You know, I was thinking about my oldest has anxiety and he really has struggled with it for much of his life. And we were in therapy weekly and he was really making slow progress. Um, but we found for us that during the pandemic, he actually those first six months, he actually started to overcome some of what he was struggling with because he knew that he was, you know, not leaving the house each day. He knew what to expect. He was able to mature a little bit over those six months in a way that, that we wouldn't have expected. We really expected the opposite. We expected him to kind of spiral and for things to be so difficult for him because he wasn't going to school each day when in fact we were lucky to find that the opposite was true and that that complete slowdown of his schedule and um, really just the comfort of being with his family all day really helped, helped with that maturity that he needed. So we were we found ourselves to be in a really nice sweet spot with the ages of our children. But I was so thankful every day that I didn't have teenagers in the middle of that, that time period, because, you know, teenagers are such social beings. They need to be with each other to be whole and complete people. So I can't imagine how challenging that challenging that was for you both as parents and, and for you, Joshua, as an administrator. Yeah, it, they are. They, they are absolutely social animals and they want to spend time with each other. It is just a, a vital part of, of their development. It is. Whereas when you have kids who are younger, they want to be with their parents, right? They just it's, crave being with their parents, the comfort, the nurturing relationships. At that time, they didn't think we were so annoying. I think our 11-year-old our is starting to look at us like, what? <laughs> but at the time, he was nine and it, and we were we were pretty cool at that time. So we were really, it's interesting in hindsight, we were lucky the ages that our kids were. It's good. Lucky, but also that was extremely challenging, much more challenging for you than for me with older children. That's for sure. Homeschooling was a very different experience for, for me than for you. Yes, that is true. That is true. Um, but at least my kids wanted to be around me all day. That was the, that was the problem. Like, give me some space. I need to sit on this sofa with no one touching me for just like 30 seconds. <laughs> that was the victory of the day. So one of the other things that we wanted to talk about is are in terms of school for you, um, are you requiring vaccinations for kids that um, 
are eligible for them right now? So we've taken the tact that we do not want to be an institution that is making the decisions for parents. We really believe on this topic that parent sovereignty is, is really important. Of course, we are subject to New York State, and so what they say, we will have to comply with. But as long as it depends on us, we say to our parents, we encourage the vaccine. Uh, we think that it is, it is safe and healthy. But at the same time, we are we are not going to be the ones that say that to make parents make that decision. Uh, they can make that on their own. Uh, we find that to be really important. I think our parents have appreciated that. Right. So in that case, you're probably finding that there isn't too much pushback that you're getting from them because you're really allowing them to make the choice. Right. Correct. And with that in, in mind, are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing teens wanting to be vaccinated? Are you seeing it hesitancy? You know, I'm at the stage right where my oldest is 11, and I imagine in the next couple of weeks, a vaccine will become available for younger children. And as a parent, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So it's interesting to hear how it's worked out for other communities. Yeah, so Suffolk County is not uh, overly restrictive as it relates to uh, vaccination. So I mean, you can access a restaurant, you can do all of the things that you can normally do. And so if that were to change, if you were to see more uh, restrictions in place, less freedom from a standpoint of just kind of your ease of movement, then I think you would see kids want more and more to get vaccinated. Uh, right now, the social cost, so to speak, is is not as high as say it is in a place like New York City or in Los Angeles, where they're mandating these uh, vaccines for for schools. So that 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 kind of navigation they did not had to do yet. So it's been, I would say, a, you know, a kind of a, a smooth rollout here with families certainly opting to get their kids vaccinated and kids saying, I want to get vaccinated. I mean, they are a voice in that process and they're, they are making decisions on the score. And I would say we probably have north of 50% of our kids vaccinated here on, on campus would be my guess. I was just wondering if there's um, any advice that you would want to give based on your experience to other educators um, around this and going forward. Yeah, I think it's really important to be in relationship as much as you can with your community and to be understanding the needs and kind of reading the temperature of your of your school and, and what it is that, that you, you know, see your parents advocating for. I think that's an important step. But I also think that we're finding just you know, stridency in, in this, in this environment, I think is, is hard to deal with. I think you, you have to have some flexibility and you have to be a listener and you have to be humble about these things. What it's when you get dogmatic and when you kind of pound the table that I feel like folks tune you out, but if you're willing to be reasonable and you're really willing to listen and you're willing to go the extra mile with people, I think that pays significant dividends. And look, everybody wants their children safe. That's the that's the good news is that we have that united front. So the question is, okay, how do we work together to ensure that we are creating an environment here that 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 harnesses the best of what this educational opportunity is for kids? What is it that this community does best? How do we do that together given all of the parameters? It's a real opportunity to dialogue and listen and to show yourself as, as vulnerable and transparent on these matters as you just kind of you know walk with people. Because this is all new. It's all uncharted territory. 
we're doing it together. And uh, I just think, again, that learning posture, that communicative posture is going to be beneficial for folks. Yes, very well said. And so with that, Joshua, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about Stony Brook? Other than that's a great school and anybody who's listening, please apply for next year. Uh, no, I, I think we've, uh, we've, we've covered it all. It's, um, it's a real pleasure to be here uh, with you all today and uh, to, to talk to you about these very important matters. This is a, quite an interesting time we're living in here together as, uh, in, this, in this day and age. And uh, history books, you know, they'll, they will contain a section on the pandemic and, and how we did. Um, and I just say to educators everywhere, the, the vitality, the importance of what you are doing uh, as you facilitate these safe environments for kids, considering their social and emotional health. I mean, our task is, is, is a very important one. And uh, just celebrate and encourage all the educators out there who are, who are doing what they're doing to create these safe environments for kids. They will thank us later. I think they'll thank us now. They've been very, very appreciative. But I think they'll even thank us later as they saw us work together to create the environment that would be as normal as possible during these very abnormal times. Well, thank you so much for your great words of advice. And thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. It was our pleasure. Mine as well. Thank you all so much. And Godspeed. Take care. This is Megan Ferraro and Karen Cohn from the Zach Foundation, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon.